This is the Wes and Walker Show. This is Wes. I mean, seriously, I this happened 20 seconds ago, and then Wes just decides in the distance to give us this kind of show cry to start off. It's Wes. Oh, let's go, baby. Let's get it going. Come on. And Walker. Out of nowhere. I mean, I look like a pansy, to be honest with you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Fitty said, that scared me. I said that scared the he bleep said, out of yeah, me. I he look- said the same thing. Welcome back to the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The Carolina Men's Clinic text line is already hopping. Keep it hopping. 704-570-9610. Yes, Panther Bo, you do owe us a call, but that's going to have to come later because right now on the Body Works <laughs> Plus guest hotline, we've got ACC Network basketball analyst, former Wake Forest basketball legend, North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer, and North Carolina Tar Heel killer, mm, you had to Randolph Childress, in the building to talk a little college basketball with the boys. Randolph, did you like that intro, man? Was the Carolina killer a little bit too much hey, or man. what? Hey, listen. No, 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 no. I love it because then, you know, for us, Deeks, we got to stick together because it ain't That's many right. of us to get a chance to stick together. That's dude. right. We always... We always all know about in Tar Heels and Abduki, so we gotta. That's right. We gotta make sure we stick together. Yeah, so and our and our producer board op is a huge Carolina guy, so he takes digs at the Deeks when he can. So anytime I can stick it to him, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do that. All right. So, uh, Dolph, yeah, let's get this thing cracking. You and I text. You know, we have the our yeah. relationship has mm-hmm. got to that point where we text each other to talk a little ball, mm-hmm. and you tell me that yeah. you weren't as sold on the Deeks as I am right now. So, what do you make of last night them going to Florida State and losing 87-82? Well, I, let me preface it by saying it's not that I'm not I'm not sold. I think it's I think they're good. I know they're good, but I, I I say this in a sense because I know what people are when people make the argument of of the league. I say I think the league is good, and I do believe the Deeks are really good. I like their team; they can really score. The problem that I have, I only say it from what the narrative is, mm-hmm. and and when you when you and this isn't you know. The narrative of the the league, we're right back in that same window that we were in before, and I don't and I don't understand it. I don't like it. I think it makes absolutely no sense. Um, you can take a team like Wake Forest, who I who I my, they passed the eye test for me. Now there's things I think they have to do, and I think they have to get a, non, a stronger non conference schedule. That 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 is. I, I I don't think there's really much of an argument with that. But they are, they're really good. They're deserving of more attention than what they get. Again, tough game, tough winning on the road. Changes nothing that they lost at Florida State last night. But the narrative of the, it's heading down the same path of when I say tournament and everything else is just, if you don't beat Carolina or Duke the way things are going now, we're going to be right down that same path again. So that's what, when I say that, I'm speaking of, the narrative against the ACC that I've, I've, I've been adamant that I think is BS. If you're looking at their schedule and you're looking at quad one wins, even when I'm looking at it through a glass half full, them beating Miami, who's a really good team, they're going to count that as probably a quad two win at home. So when, and, then, and you know what I'm talking about. When we get to that point in mm-hmm. March, it's always going to be how many quad one wins, how many quad one wins. Yep. Because of this narrative that they're dealing with, 
you know, they're only going to get credit for beating Carolina and Duke. So that's going to happen. What? So they only got, you're telling me they only get three games on their schedule that helps them get into the tournament at quad one chances? I think that's BS. And so that's what I mean when I say I think it hurts them. I, I, I do. They're one of the best teams in the league. I, I really believe that. Uh, I think they'll continue to get better regardless of the loss of last night. Um, I, I think they'll finish in the top five of this league. But I, <clears throat> the metrics don't help the league. And it's, mo- it's probably the most frustrating thing that I deal with in watching this because I know that they belong. And, and, and those are things that's going to count against them now. So I just think you have to figure out a way to change that. The only thing that I think that they can do is probably play a better non-conference schedule because it, it, it's ridiculous to see what the league goes through. And that's the national narrative. And that's not going to change no matter what you say, what I say. Um, it just it is what it is. So let's hope the, now that we're in conference play, that's just the reality of what we're dealing with. But and, I'm high on my deeps. I'm never going to be down on them like that. All right. And so, Randolph, when you look at the big four in the state of North Carolina, especially for the ACC traditionalist state sits there three and oh, Carolina three and oh, Duke three and one. As we said, the Deeks are three and one. Which one of those do you trust the most at this point today? I think Carolina has been battle tested. Um, and I think that they we, we know more about them because we've seen them. Uh, their non-conference schedule, that stretch that Carolina played during the year was just, I mean, you, you can't ask for a harder stretch of games, you know, coming in. They played UConn, they played Oklahoma, they played Kentucky. Um, they're in the middle now with three-game road trip. They played Arkansas, they played Tennessee, they played Villanova. Uh, they played a stretch that's difficult, as difficult as you can find, non-conference. And then getting into conference play here, they're starting off the New Year's with a, a road game, three straight road games. And they've won two of the three at Pitt that's had their number. And then they go into Clemson, who I think is a very good team. They beat Clemson. And then tonight they're playing for first place against NC State. So I, I would give the slight edge to, uh, to to Carolina right now. As as you know, as, a, as an alum, I know we're surrounded by these tall heels everywhere, but I, yes. I do. I think of you know, seriously, I think that they're. Uh, I think they're really good. I think they're a really good team now that they're proving that they're a borderline great team. And I think if they can win tonight on the road and get three consecutive road wins in this league, that's hard to do in any league. And if they can beat Pitt, Clemson, and then win at NC State, uh, I think we're going to have to start talking about the Tar Heels as a as a great team and not just a good team. Uh, Duke has talent. I think they're still as talented as everyone else. They're young. They'll continue to get better and figure things out now that they've adjusted to how teams are playing Mark Mitchell. Uh, they're going to be there. Um, and then I think it's Wake and NC State. Uh, I think Wake can score it. I think you saw last night of when they don't score, they struggle in a sense of that's their identity. They put so much pressure on you on the offensive end. Uh, NC State, I think is the opposite. I think their identity is on the defensive end of the floor, and it'll give them a chance to win and get be in a lot of games because they they're able to get after you. They they pressure you. That's kind of keeps MA's mo is the sense of uh, getting it done on the defensive end of the floor. So uh, those four teams, it wouldn't shock me if they all finish in the top four. And then with Clemson, I think Clemson will finish in the top five as well. Uh, right now. Uh, but as I've watched the rest of this league, and I, you know, like last night, I had Jordan Tech and, and uh, Notre Dame game. I mean, hey, Notre Dame, like Notre Dame is probably the best defensive team that I've seen in the league. 
and they are really they, they they struggle to score, but defensively they get after, and they've been really really good. So the league itself is just as strong as I think it has been in a while. But I don't like the metrics and and how that operates. And, and I think we can we'd be here all day. It'll take the whole show for me complaining about the metrics and how that goes. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But it is what it is, and we got to figure out ways to navigate it until the system changes itself. So. Uh, but the try of basketball, you got. It, it, I think all of those rivalries will be great. I think it's going to be tough for either of the four to win on the other team's home court. Um, I'm looking forward to calling a couple of those games because the students are back now. All those teams are winning. They're at the top of the conference. So I expect it to be some big-time rivalries when those four teams play because they're at the top of the league. And, and actually, we get that show tonight. So I know things will be jumping into PNC Center tonight. Randolph Childress joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can find him on Twitter at R22Childress. Also, find him on the ACC Network calling some ACC games. Wanted to go back to Carolina Randolph because you said you feel like they're a team on the verge of possibly getting uh, to that great category. Did you expect North Carolina to have turned it around this much during the offseason when they had some of those transfers like Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan? Or are you surprised to see how well they're playing? You never know how good anybody's going to be, particularly the Carolina group coming off a national championship run, and then last year was a disaster. So it's hard to, you know, I, I think everybody was kind of with a level of optimism. Uh, I was a big Cormac Ryan fan. I think he's a really good 3 and D guy. He's not shooting as well from the three-point line as he he's had this year as he has in years past, but he's had his moments, and he's shown up in big moments. If he can shake, I know he's had a couple ankle sprains. If he can shake that off, they just fit. Harrison Ingram's been really good for him. Uh, a different guy from the bench has kind of stepped up. Jalen Washington's had his moments. They just had different guys. Seth Trimble's coming in, giving them good minutes. They they have versatility, and they're just figuring some things out. But as long as you got R.J. Davis playing like an All-American and you still got the big fellow Armando Baycott inside, you have dominating performers and, and on the inside and on the perimeter. that just changes things. Like, R.J.'s playing as anybody, I think, we're at the midway point of the season and we're early in the ACC season. And I don't know if there's anybody in the league playing better than RJ Davis. Randolph, we saw Duke lose a couple of games in a row, Arkansas, Georgia tech for a while. Their best win was Michigan state. And of course we saw Michigan state lose to James Madison at the beginning of the year, man, they've been losing since, I mean, they've been winning by big time margins. They had the one game a couple nights ago where they shot 75% in the second half. First half of this game against Pitt, they shot like, I mean, Philip Pascal almost shot 100. What's been the biggest turnaround for this Duke team on this winning streak? Well, to be honest, it's another one of those things. I mean, I I, I would I hit the pause button a little bit because I had them at Notre Dame, and that was a really close game if you watch that. And they have to figure out. You name those two losses, but guess what? They were their first true road game. So at Arkansas was the first true road game. Then they go on the road and play Georgia Tech right after that. And if you ask Shire coming into that Notre Dame game, it was like, hey, we got to take this on the road. We got to start playing outside of, of of Cameron. And when Duke travels so well, when they play a neutral site game, it's like a home game for them. So when you're young and people forget that this Duke team is still really young, but those, you know, Filipowski is a sophomore. Proctor got hurt, missed three games, came back. He's a sophomore. Mark Mitchell's a sophomore. Then you, you talk about this, second-ranked recruiting class and, and Foster and McLean and these guys coming in, they're, they're young and they're still learning um, and they're still growing to get better. This is not an experienced group of guys outside of Jeremy Roach and 
Ryan Young from their bench. And I, I think they're going to have to continue to get better and learn how to win on the road. And uh, I, I think they're, they're starting to play well. This is what their team did last year, despite the injuries. And the, the Duke team will be really good as they get as we get into February and definitely into March. But I would monitor and see how this group continues to get better on the road. I don't worry about them when they're in Cameron. But if they continue like they did last night, taking it again on the road at, at, at Pitt and, and figuring things out, they're just – they're coming together, and it's and it's fun to watch. To be honest, because you saw the development of those young guys, and they got so many weapons, and that's hard. Because I think they have the most talent in the league, but I also think it's you, Randolph. I was going to ask you too. What what's been your biggest surprise so far this season? Is there a team near the bottom that you feel like is severely underachieving, or is there a team at the top that you feel like is overachieving? What's been your biggest surprise so far? Uh I'm going to stick with our Deeks. I think the Deeks are really good. I think they're really good. I, I think that they can very easily, dare I say, win the league. I, I, Clemson has dropped two. Uh, I'm not down on those guys. I know they won and two. I expect them to, to, to figure things out. I'm a big believer in, in, in that group. I think everybody's going to – Virginia's different than I thought. I don't think this is the same defensive team and, and dominant defensive team that we've seen in the past. Uh, they struggle to score, and I, I think this team right now is, is a middle of the pack league, in the league. I, you know, we're so accustomed to seeing a, a Tony Bennett led team be amongst the top two or three teams in his league, and I don't see that from them. I, I think this team will fall back. It would not surprise me if they are, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, and that in that range, it would not surprise me. This team is not as good defensively as they've been in the past, and they struggle to score. Um, but I but I, I don't count against Tony Bennett. You tend to give people a benefit of the doubt. But this is I, I think this is a different deal for him. I mean he hasn't had this type of inexperience. Um and, and losing a guy like Kihei Clark has been a, such a stable in that program. It's just a it's it feels like it's just a little bit of a letdown. Uh, Notre Dame is going to surprise people. I thought coming into this year that they had the worst roster in the league. I didn't think they'd win. I, I thought even Louisville with their struggles, I thought Louisville starting five was much better. And I thought even they would be better than uh, Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame will really surprise people. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not really the rest of the team in the league. I, you know, Boston College, as long as you got Quentin Post, you got a chance. Syracuse is impressive with Mintz, but I think the most surprising team I'd say would be Notre Dame, and I think a team that I think that 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 would it was picked high that I don't see finishing as high as they were picked, and I think Virginia was picked fourth is Virginia. I think they'll I think they'll they'll finish below that mark. They just struggle to score. Teams like Wake Wake's going to put up points, and you know can you defend them well enough? And they have so many guys that can hurt you in so many different ways, and. Getting Efton Reed back kind of stabilizes them inside. Um, they're they're going to be right there. They just have to carry it on the road and, and, and figure out who they're going to be able to. Uh, they have multiple guys on the perimeter from Hillgrit and obviously Hunter and Boopy that can kind of carry the load on any particular night. And I don't know how many teams, like how many teams have that many perimeter guys that can actually score the way weight guards can. And, and I think that's why they're going to be a team that could very easily surprise and be there in the end. Um, but road wins are tough. But I would say Notre Dame and Virginia would be the two teams that one was picked at the bottom. I think they're finished in the middle of the pack, and I think 
Virginia is one of those same teams that uh, was picked really high, and I think they'll finish in the middle of the pack. That was Randolph Childress, ACC Network basketball analyst, North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him on X at R22ChildressDolph. We'll see you down the road, my man. Bye, right, man. You guys have a enjoy your show, man. Catch up with you guys soon. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk NFC South and head coaching searches on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thanks to Randolph Childress joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can go catch that interview again if you missed it, WFNZ.com. The interview should be uploaded here shortly. And you can also go click on the Wes and Walker podcast tab. Catch all of not only the interviews, but the best of segments, all of the hours. And Armani Edwards is set to join us at 2 o'clock. If you can't catch us then, yep, that interview will be up there as well. WFNZ.com. Wes and Walker tab. We'll also put it on our social media accounts. Wes and Walker Twitter account, Walker Mail, Wes Bryant underscore 72, and at HTB underscore Josh. We'll also be discussing a lot more about the Carolina Panthers, their GM search, their head coaching search, and let's focus on the latter here, Wes, because Carolina's not the only team in the NFC South looking for a new head coach. The Atlanta Falcons are doing the exact same. I think I always thought Arthur Smith was a good play caller. At least that was my that was my opinion heading into this season. And it was always just frustrating that he wouldn't use Kyle Pitts. That's the one that I I just want to see the guy that had a thousand receiving yards at a tight end position his rookie year. Here we are focusing on Sam Laporta, what he did in Detroit, which is really impressive. That's your guy, man. Kyle Pitts is a Walker Mail guy. Unapologetically Gotta so. Say it. Una, una, no, yes. yes, that is I will wear that. Kyle Pitts is absolutely my guy. Bijan's my guy. Kyle Pitts is your guy. Well, and and I agree with you though. They should have yeah. used Bijan more. Yeah. I and I like Tyler Algier. I think he's a really good player. I mean, Bijan Robinson is just nuts. You think if they would have used him more, Bijan would have got the two thousand, two thousand scrimmage yards? I probably. It's look. I am not one. I was complaining about this with Chris McCaffrey the entire time he was here because mm-hmm. clearly he's at worst second, third best running back in the league, whatever, right? He can do it all. When McCaffrey was here, I still thought it was in the best interest of CMC and Carolina that you put another running back in there every once in a while. I'm not asking for Bajan Robinson to go out there for it 95% of the snaps, like what Christian McCaffrey was rolling with. But man, there would be games where they just wouldn't use him, but what, eight touches, 10 touches. It was pretty ridiculous. And clearly that guy is really talented. I love their last three first-round picks that they've had at the skill position. Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bajon Robinson, I love all of them. And yet, the offense, yeah, they had Desmond Ritter, who had the highest turnover-worthy throw rate of any QB in the NFL by a large margin, so it didn't work out there. But if you get a right QB, the Atlanta Falcons could really take off. And while I like Arthur Smith as a run designer, a good enough play caller, 
when you don't use the best players that you draft, like quite literally your first round picks you don't use, then yeah, what, what did you think was going to happen? Mm-hmm. You're out here throwing to Jonu Smith, somebody that's on his third team now, instead of Kyle Pitts, who you drafted fourth. Crazy. So you bring in a new bright offensive mind. You bring in a QB that you feel good enough about. Wes, it feels like Atlanta is a team that would be really attractive. They fixed the defense enough with some of the free agent signings. Plus, it feels like Arthur Blank is a good owner. He's going to give his guy some time. Arthur Smith, what, three years he had there? Yeah. Mike Smith was there for a long time. You, It feels like it's a pretty attractive um, it feels like it's a pretty attractive destination. If you're Carolina, how much are you trying to mess up the coaching hire of, of Atlanta if you're looking at some of these candidates? Do you just got to focus on what you need to do, or you focus a little bit on, I don't want Atlanta to get this guy that we uh, really want? Well, we used to have a phrase at Wake Forest, and a lot of teams use it, so it's not anything earth-shattering, but TCB, which meant take care of the ball, okay? So when I say that, and it also meant take care of business. And I think if you're the Panthers, you need to focus on taking care of business. You take care of your house first. You can't worry about what the ops as the kids would say, are doing. You can't worry about that. You need to worry about getting the best candidate for you uh, and not worry about trying to spite the Atlanta Falcons because you could hurt yourself in the process of doing that. Uh, With that said, though, you know, Atlanta, you talked about how deep the head coaching pool is, and I think that's going to be a very attractive job for many of those guys. So I think Atlanta's going to have pretty much their pick of the litter uh, when talking about getting a coach. And so I think the Carolina, no matter what they do, they're not going to be able to stop the Falcons from getting a quality candidate. And so uh, with that said, for the Panthers, as I said, you just need to focus on yourself and doing the best for your team. You know who's done a good job with teams that have had limited QBs but an excellent running game and some pretty impressive skill talent outside every now and then? Mike Vrabel. I don't know if Carolina's going to go after Vrabel. I don't know if they want the really bright offensive mind, the young hotshot type that Sean McVay made all the rage as soon as he was hired and turned that Rams organization around. But I'll tell you this, if they decide to go Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, whoever were among our top most coveted candidates, Wes, if Atlanta gets Vrabel, I am scared. I'm sorry. I am. And think about what he did with Tennessee, getting to, I believe, four straight postseason appearances in the weird division that is the AFC South. Mm Mm-hmm continuing to cause havoc even when you weren't good enough to actually win the division, handle all of the quarterback controversy that you've had with Ryan Tannehill. Are you going to trade him? No. Okay. He's going to be the backup to who Malik Willis. Nope. Will Levis psych all of that different type of stuff. He was able to still turn out victory after victory except the last two years. But even still, I think that was a roster problem more than a coaching problem. Now you put him on a roster that we both agree is good that might have a limited QB, but we've already seen him win with limited QBs before. Vrabel going to Atlanta would be the one I'm sure I'm the most scared of. Like Slowick, Ben Johnson, if they go to Atlanta, yeah, I'm scared. But that's still all a theory right now. That's still all high variance. I've seen what Vrabel can do with a roster that is good enough in Tennessee, but not the greatest. And if you give him Atlanta, like that's one where I'm like, oh boy, if you're David Tepper and you don't get Vrabel, but he does end up down there with the Falcons, that would make me the most scared as far as a Panther foe and what they decided to do. The only pushback I'd give you on that is we've, we've seen what Vrabel has done the last couple of seasons with very limited quarterback play. And so for Atlanta, it's definitely got to be a combination like any other team in this league. 
Do you go get a Russell Wilson when the season is over with? Do you go and get a new rookie and try to trade up and get a guy or stay where you are in the draft selection process and take your new guy? That's going to be the big thing with Atlanta, though. They've got to get that quarterback position right because I don't care who you have. If you have to go back into next season with Desmond Ritter or someone lesser or of equal value, then no, that, that's not going to work for Atlanta. Um, and New Orleans hasn't done anything yet. We suspect that they're probably going to fire Dennis Allen, but we've yet to see that yet. But if I had to bet my money on it, I would say he's going to be one of the coaches to go. But just focusing on Atlanta, they got to find a coach. And even though Russell Wilson might not be quite what he was in Seattle, I think he's a guy that's good enough to get them over the hump and make them scary. But I think if they get Vrabel or whomever they go and get, got to find the right signal call. So you're thinking Russell Wilson in the division. Mr. Oh, yeah, I, I could see that for sure. Um, I, I saw the other day that the odds on were for him to go to Pittsburgh, but I think Atlanta would also be an offense that he would be very much into having because he's insulated with so much talent, and the offensive line is pretty solid too. So if they could get a quarterback like that or go even above and beyond that, uh, I think that that would be because I also read something like uh, Kirk Cousins. And if they get Kirk Cousins, oh, yeah. Oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> Oh, buddy. Now, the thing about Kirk Cousins, oh, buddy. He, he did answer, what are you thinking if they sign Kirk Cousins? Oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that offense will be ripping and running. No, it would be crazy because their offensive line is good. That's what I'm saying. Kirk um, Cousins walking 4,535 touchdowns. And losing in the wild card. Maybe. I don't know about but that. It, it would keep the Panthers out of it, though. <laughs> they, they might lose in the wild card. Uh, and he's got one win against the Saints, by the way. Yeah. So the Panthers might even like Kirk Cousins, maybe just not in the division. What I will say is Kirk Cousins was talking to media saying he used to squeeze each team that he played for, whether it be Washington or Minnesota, for every single penny that he could be owed. Yeah. And he's the all-time finesse QB when it comes to contract negotiations. I Maybe the best of all time when doing that. But he was talking to media saying, now I just want the right fit. Right, he money, wants to win. Money isn't as important to me anymore. And so maybe Atlanta is that movement. Now, Inside of that narrative, and let's not forget, too, a uh, texter also said, uh, Bebop from Rock Thrill, Justin Fields comes there, too. Oh, buddy. Well, that's the most popular one. People <laughs> have been trying to get Justin Fields to Atlanta this entire offseason. So, yeah, that, I think both. Justin Fields impressed me the second half. Mm -hmm. And that's when DJ Moore was balling. When you had, now, granted, it was like third string Tyson Bajant, who, you know, God bless him, did a pretty good job. Won his first ever game, but... Still not as dynamic as Justin Fields. If he goes to Atlanta, that would pique my interest mm -hmm. and also pique my fear if I'm a Panthers fan. All right, so we, we here we are talking about Vrabel. One more soundbite. Pat McAfee, who's in all sorts of, I don't know what kind of hot water he's in, but it's all the rage now, talking about the Pat McAfee show. Here's Pat McAfee actually sharing a football opinion, saying Vrabel is the alpha that the Panthers need. How about like Tepper? Tepper has a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. Second wealthiest owner in all of sports. He's been waiting for an alpha, I think, to tell him to shut up yeah. <laughs> and stop talking to me about football. Sure. You just go worry about Bingo. your own thing Bingo. on Mondays. Vrabel would seemingly be that particular character. <laughs> He's going to be highly sought after, D, but this is not normal. I did not, not expect this. Yeah. On this. I just, I think that that story, that idea, I think it's totally false. So many people throw that out there. And I get, I get it in spirit. Needing somebody with, you know, with a nice football mind and can pound his chest and say, no, Tepper, I'm doing things my way. Y'all, he gets rid of those guys. Although, could you imagine Tepper walking up to his office on a Monday morning and showing him a random Cleveland Browns play 
and telling him to run that on Sunday. Like it would Frank probably looked at it and said, "That's oh, better than my offense. I might, I might consider that." Vrabel will give him the FUIs. Well, yeah. this is this is the thing though that people miss about Frank Reich's exit is that once thing got once things got worse for this offense, Frank Reich was telling people, "No, we're doing it my way." Which is what we weirdly want yeah, but from the he, next coach. But Frank Reich was doing that. Yeah, Tepa basically, I mean, uh, Pat McAfee basically called him Vivica Fox from the Fresh Prince episode to where she was bossing Will around and then Carlton G-checked her in the restaurant and then she was in love with him. That's basically what he called Tepa just now. I like a good Fresh Prince reference. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's what it was. What were you about to push back on? I was just going <laughs> to say, like, and like I know when, they, when we hired Frank, he had a winning record. Is he as respected? Does he have the cachet that Vrabel has? No, he does not. Like, like Vrabel took took Tennessee to an AFC championship game. Frank Reich won a Super Bowl as a coordinator and a play caller, but as a head coach, never did that. And then you look at you know just his lineage as a player, you know his ability to. I mean, the, the dude trolled Belichick in a playoff game. He he did that. So okay. so like, like, but we're operating under a sense of logic for Tepper. That, oh, Tepper is going to respect these guys now. What has he shown you that allows you to think that? I heard that he uh, that he shaved his chest hair in the new year, and he's 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 going to give up control. I don't know what that means, to be honest with you, but okay. And I think most head coaches, <laughs> not all of them, but I think most head coaches are alphas. That's how you get to be a head coach. And Frank Wright wasn't. I think that was yeah, the problem. Yeah, I disagree with that. I, I don't think, think Frank Reich was a this is, beta. This is where, I, look, sometimes things are nuanced. Sometimes things can be complex. Ultimately, if Ben Johnson, this young hotshot who we don't consider alpha, that's not the first characteristic we think of when we think of a Slowick, who we really want. When we think of a Ben Johnson, I don't think Todd Munkin, who we really like too. We don't think alpha. We think of the defensive guys. We think of the big yeah. brutes that played linebacker. When that could be a misconception. But Mike Vrabel, Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, y'all, they need to win games, and then they're going to get the respect of the fan base and David Tepper. Frank Reich wasn't winning games, but he's doing the thing that people want the next head coach to do is do their own thing. That's what Frank Reich was doing when Jim Caldwell's trying to get in his ear, Josh McCown, whoever, right? This is all hearsay at that point. But if David Tepper's writing a play on a napkin for Frank Reich to run or talking to Frank Reich about footwork and Frank Reich is saying, no, this is the vision, even if the record is not the vision, this is the process, we're going to stick with it, then he's doing the very thing people want those head coaches to do to David Tepper, and he got fired in 11 weeks. Well, you, I mean, you also got to have a coach that believes in Bryce Young, and, and Frank Reich can say whatever he wanted. That sure. wasn't that wasn't his quarterback. Like he wanted, he wanted CJ Stroud. And I heard you talk about this yesterday too in the McDonald's segment, as we'll <laughs> thus call it. Is that all it is? <laughs> well, it was two back to back. I mean, if I, I think at least eight listeners went to McDonald's because of the couple of references that you went. And I like that having that kind of power. But when you were th going through the McDonald's segment, you brought that up as well. It, to me, I don't know if this is what you were saying. It felt a little like you were leading that direction, though, Fitty. I don't think that Frank Reich took this job over, ended up having Bryce Young forced upon him, and then he tried to run this offense that was really tailored for C.J. Stroud at the expense of Bryce Young's success. That's not the type of guy that Frank Reich is, and I have zero reason to believe that he was trying to do anything other than put Bryce Young up in the best place possible. He just didn't do it, right? Not wanting to and not doing it are completely different. 
I think where you start to delve into that territory is that Frank Reich had no interest in making sure Bryce Young was the most successful. But I don't think that's the case. I just don't think he was making the right decisions for his first overall pick. Yeah, I can agree with that uh, with you as well. And so, as I said, you know, Vrabel coming in, being this alpha, it doesn't seem like because we see with the Cowboys. I mean, they had two alphas and they didn't work out. Whether you talk about Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones could not take the fact that Jimmy Johnson was getting all the credit for the Super Bowls and then he had Bill Parcells. And then for the most part, he hires guys who are going to acquiesce to him. And I think that David Tepper is in that same vein. And so I think Pat McAfee is pretty off base saying no person that, I mean, I guess you could say there are people who are kind of dominant and they're waiting on somebody to make them a little more subservient. But uh, I don't see that with Tepper, especially from the actions Hell that no. we've seen from him. Hell no. He wants somebody that's going to acquiesce to him. So I think that uh, Mr. McAfee was a little off base. I just, you know, you, you bring up the Jimmy or the, the, the Jerry and the Parcells comparison. What's funny is, is when Parcells left Dallas, he said he had nothing but great things to say about working for Jerry Jones. He recommended that if the job ever came over for Bill, for Bill Belichick, he'd love working for an owner like Jerry Jones because why he meddles, it's the right kind of meddling, right, where I'm going to give you my money, I'm going to give you my resources, and I'm going for the most part stay out of your way because Jerry's not showing up on Monday telling Mike McCarthy what play to run. When you go back to my opinion of Frank Reich, what I, what I, I think he was just scared of Bryce. Like, I think he was scared of a 5'10", 185-pound quarterback. Because you saw the offense he called with Andy Dalton versus the offense he called with Bryce Young. It wasn't the same. And so that was my that was my point, was that I just think he was terrified of running the offense that was best suited for Bryce because he didn't think his body, because an offensive line could hold up. No, I, I, I agree with that. I just, he didn't think it was best suited for Bryce. But I agree that it was a different offense, or at least the quarterback was making different decisions. And look, even Frank Reich would tell you, other people would tell you, yeah, we had a couple of deep shots baked in there, but they didn't throw it. Bryce Young checked to a different play, or they decided to roll somewhere different, and we would see guys downfield, I'm not saying they were open, but it's just... Bryce Young either didn't have the time, which is understandable given how awful they want that pain, that pass protection was <laughs> in the middle. I, yeah, this is this is the stuff where Frank Reich had to go. I'm not I'm not having any issue with Tepper moving off Frank Reich. I don't think Reich was doing anything intentionally that you know was a deterrent to Bryce Young's success. I don't think he was intentionally doing anything like that, just making bad decisions. Yeah, I don't I don't think he was either. And I mean, it's so subjective. I know that the results were so bad, but I mean, everything was so bad around him, just like Bryce is a quarterback. And I mean, it's hard for any head coach to come in. Again, that's one of those situations, I don't care what head coach you put in there, I think they would have struggled with what the Panthers had around them this season. And so that's why the next head coach, I mean, they've got, they've got their work cut out for them. Last thing for me, going down with the David Tepper comparisons to all these, you know, troublesome owners, right? You know, you everybody brings up Jerry Jones. I, I have problems with the Dan Snyder comparison for different reasons. Like Dan Snyder's a criminal. Yes. So, like, we'll just start there. Yeah. Um, but with Jerry Jones, he's pretty patient with his coaches too. I mean, Jason Garrett, you know, couple of eight and eight years to start off. In fact, three straight years of eight and eight football, but still holds on to him and keeps him on for a decade. Like Wade Phillips held on to that job. That's what I'm for, saying. I think like, he, and I think a lot yeah. of Cowboys fans will maybe disagree with Fiddy a little bit. And I know Parcells might have had good things to say, but that's because Parcells didn't take no mess. But we haven't seen the Cowboys hire a coach like that in quite some time. Like all those coaches have been, the optics of them have been 
Jerry Jones guys who are going to do what he says, and that's kind of the reason I think he let some of them stay for so long. Yeah, and, and Tepper is going to get rid of you if he wants to. Yeah. I mean, and, and even maybe a little bit too patient with Matt Rule. Bottom line, I see some confusion on the text line about like maybe a point I was making. Uh, overall, the bow I'll put on it is this whole alpha male speaking up to David Tepper thing is what he needs. I think that's misled. I think that's misguided. Yeah. And it's something that everybody runs with. And it makes sense in theory, but we're not giving enough credence to the fact that Tepper gets rid of those dudes. And so we need to stop having the conversation about that being the ultimate thing this Panthers team needs because ultimately David Tepper gets to make whatever decision he wants to, and he's the guy on top of the totem pole. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Plenty more Panthers conversation on the other side of the break. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One more segment on Wesson Walker before we welcome Armani Edwards to the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You may have heard of him. North Carolina, not only legend, but officially a college football Hall of Famer. Julius Peppers also inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. I'd say that's pretty decent company, Wes. Oh, I think so. We talked about that list yesterday. There were some big names on that list of College Football Hall of Famers, and he is one of them. Now, we're going to ask him this, but... There's so many accomplishments that he's been able to achieve in his life, beating Michigan in Ann Arbor, a good Michigan team, winning a couple championships, being drafted into the NFL, but being inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame. Like, Wes, that's a big damn deal. Big deal. Like, where does that one rank, too? Because it's more of an appreciation of everything that you did accomplish during your playing days. I would have to imagine it's pretty high up there. Uh, especially for the school that he came from. I wouldn't imagine that App State exactly. has any, if they do, a f- maybe a very, very few. But uh, I would bet money, which I'm going to get the research team on that, to see Come if on, he's John, the only Mountaineer to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame because the names and the coaches that he's going in with are among the elites. And it is a huge deal, Walker, because like you said, you go into the Hall of Fame, you're immortal forever. I mean, the the accomplishments, just to put it in perspective, I know people know who Armani Edwards is, right? I get that. But I do forget that he was a four-time first-team All-American. Right. <laughs> Every single year you play football, you're just going to be a first-time. He will time. be the second player to go in from App State. Who's the next one? Where they said Edwards will become the fourth official App State representative and second player from App State to be in inducted into the college football hall of fame yeah four uh four time first team all-american first time uh first excuse me two-time winner of the walter payton award the fcs player of the year so i mean winning the heisman essentially at the fcs level and then leading app state to four socon titles 42 7 record as a starter for the mountaineers amassed over almost 1,500 yards, over 1,400 yards of total offense, 139 total touchdowns. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I can't wait to talk with 
Armani Edwards. Plus, he had a really interesting interview with our guy Scott Fowler on the Carolina Sports Legends um, podcast category that he also put out a coffee table book. I got a couple copies myself. It's great stuff. So we'll ask him about a few of those answers that he shared with Scott Fowler. Let's do a quick Charlotte Hornets check-in because they do play tonight against the Sacramento Kings. The Hornets, it's not been going well for them, Wes, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. They lost back-to-back games against the Chicago Bulls. They went to overtime in this last game at home, the first game at the Spectrum Center in quite some time, but they did lose 119 to 112. And here they are playing the Sacramento Kings, hoping to get back on track. It's in fact, their last win was against Sacramento on that West Coast road trip. So how can Charlotte get back in the win column? Hopefully with some of these guys getting healthier, we have some designations that aren't just out. We actually have some questionable designations. We actually have some doubtful designations, which is better than everybody just being listed as out on the Hornets injury report. But ultimately, they need to be healthy before you can give this team any kind of real chance every night in. Yeah, they need prayer and grace from God. Uh, (laughs) That's what it's going to take every night. Because uh, you look at Sacramento, they already lost to this team. So, you know, they have revenge on their mind. They probably looked at that as a very ugly loss on their season. So they're they're going to relish the chance to avenge that. But I think, you know, San Antonio, you've got them twice coming up in the next four games. And you need to try to get both of those if possible. I mean, San Antonio is is a team that, yeah, they're exciting because of Wimby, but you want to be able to beat teams like this. I mean, if you don't fancy yourself as the absolute worst, then you need to beat the worst team in basketball each time you play them. Because other than that, Got a pair of top six teams in their respective conferences in Miami and New Orleans. And now you got Philly, Minnesota before you play Detroit and Houston. So and even Houston starting to get it together a little bit and and are no easy out. And so for the Hornets, you got some winnable games coming up. You got to get them. Yeah, just to be a little more clear. Melo's getting closer, they say. Yeah, but he's still out. So, you know, November 26th is the last time that we saw him play. I think the discussed timetable, although I'm not sure the Charlotte Hornets ever put it out there, but it was probably around like six weeks, four to six weeks, something like that. I could be making that up, but we're about at the six-week mark. November 26th, the last time he played. Here we are January 10th, and he's still listed as out with that right ankle sprain. Um, But LaMelo, at least we did see that he was in the last stage of his rehabilitation process. P.J. Washington, doubtful with that right foot injury that he suffered against Chicago a couple nights ago. And Cody Martin did not play against Chicago because of a growing injury. He's questionable for tonight's game. You know, that one's one where you're just it. Cody Martin comes back, actually gives this team a little bit of a boost defensively. I thought he looked good, Wes. I Very little games that he played, but the fact that he was out again, now he's questionable. Hopefully these guys can get healthy. Real quickly before we move on to Armani Edwards. Number one storyline you're looking towards for this team. They're about seven games away from being halfway done through the season. It's not going the way that we ought all hoped for if you were a Hornets fan. Brandon Miller's going to be at the top for sure. Terry Rozier, trade market, is that the number one storyline? What are some of the things that you're looking for in the second half? Um, You know, just can this team finally get healthy and we can finally see what this team can do. If they don't make any moves at the trade deadline and if they stay as they are, just seeing these guys healthy for – Hell, give me a stretch of 10 games where we can see every Hornet that is uh, capable of playing on this roster, that's a contributor on this roster, healthy and playing together so that we can get a real glimpse of what this team looks like uh, whole. 
Yeah, I think the, the trade market is going to be fascinating to see happen. That happens early February, so we're about a month out from the trade deadline. Trade deadlines, they breed urgency. Urgency breeds deals. So maybe that's something that happens with the Charlotte Hornets. And Brandon Miller, Nick Smith Jr. is the other one, though, that's sneaking up right here. Yes. That guy has been playing very well. We all loved him as that draft pick on draft night because he was viewed as this top five potential pick before an injury-riddled year at Arkansas kept him off of the court for quite some time. When he did play, he took a backseat to Anthony Black, who ended up being a lottery pick, too. But Nick Smith Jr. looks good, man, especially off of the bench offensively, uh, bringing a a little bit of that microwave-style player Mm -hmm. can shoot the lights out. Instant offense off the bench. He's fun. He's fun, and we need some fun storylines with the Charlotte Hornets team. All right, speaking of fun, we have an interview on the other side of the break. I don't know. I got the other Hall of Famers for you if you'd like it. Yeah, go ahead and share the uh, uh, App State State Hall of Famers in the which was the guy that first came to my mind. Dexter Coakley is in there. Mac Brown and Jerry Moore. Of course, Mac Brown. That makes a lot of sense. All right, we'll bring on one of those Hall of Famers. How about Armani Edwards, former App State QB, Panther, College Football Hall of Famer? We talked to him on the other side, Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.